This is Originally Speaking. I'm Tom Maloney. She's Dee Dodson. And joining us on the phone line is Michelle Thayman. Michelle, welcome to Originally Speaking. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. And for those of you who do not know what Michelle does, she is currently locked inside the Lake County Government Center getting ready for the upcoming election. And Michelle, uh, there's there's a lot going on uh, this election cycle, even though it's uh, one of those off years, as we call it, um, but still a lot happening nonetheless. Can you talk with us about uh, early voting? Uh, that's happening right now in Indiana as uh, Election Day is just... Uh, several days away at this point. Uh, what are the numbers like and, and how can folks uh, get a vote in before Election Day? Okay, so uh, how do they get a vote in before Election Day? We have a couple different ways of doing that. They could vote by mail as long as they meet the qualifications. And there's about 15 different reasons on there for voting early. And that deadline ends tomorrow uh, for them to get their applications in at before on or before 11.59 p.m. Anyone who does that, we will get the ballot out to them the very next day. So that's one option. The other option is our early voting, for which Lake County is very blessed. We have 11 early voting sites throughout the county. And right now, our numbers are really close to 2018. So I I like to measure the elections in four-year cycles because, of course, this year is, is totally different than a presidential election and it's totally different than a municipal election. So when we look at things, we kind of look back four years ago. And right now, we're just slightly above what we were doing in 2018. As an example, early voting as of Monday, the numbers I have in front of me, we are at 11,913 votes cast early compared to 2018, same time frame, 15 days before the election, we were 11,844. So like roughly 69 voters higher than what we were in 2018. Now our mail ballots are higher than 2018. We're about 1,400 higher than we were at that point in time. And when we look at 2018, we our percentage of people that cast a vote in that election was 46.85. So I'd say we're on target to probably hit about 50% to meet. That's not good enough. Um, we should have more than half of our people voting for our legislators. So I uh, want to use this as an opportunity to encourage people to see who's on your ballot by looking at our website. We have sample ballots out there and utilizing either early voting by mail voting. We also have something called travel board, and that's where we go to people's homes where they are confined or caring for a confined voter. So sometimes it's people that are confined to their own home. It could be that they're in a nursing home. It could be that they're a hospital. And we send a bipartisan team with an actual voting machine to their home or place of confinement, and we have them cast their vote right then and there. So that's another opportunity for people to cast early. And then, of course, we have election day. So my big thing is make a plan for how you're going to vote. And then just go out and do it. Go get it done. Uh, We live in a a great country where we have these rights and freedoms to cast our vote, and we should not take them for granted. We need to get out there and cast our vote. Michelle Feynman is the Lake County Elections Director joining us here on Regionally Speaking. Michelle, uh, one of those candidates on the ballot for a statewide race is Diego Morales, um, who I think if anybody's been paying attention this election cycle is a 2020 election denier. And typically you you may be shrugging your shoulders saying, well, there's a lot of candidates who are, but with the role of Secretary of State being in charge and overseeing elections across the state, what happens when somebody who's an election denier, whether it's Morales or another candidate in the future, gets put into that kind of a role? Uh Of course, I am the Democrat director here. So, I mean, there is some 
personal feelings on this, but as a professional, I, I worry um, as an election denier, why would you want to run for that office? You know, how are you going to go forward encouraging people to vote when you potentially don't believe in the results yourself? So I think that sends an extremely bad message for our chief election official. I do know he has already stated he will take away. That was one of his plans is he is going to take away. Right now we have 29 days of early voting. He has stated he's going to cut that down to 14. After that, will they go away in its entirety? I don't know. I worry about that because I am a person who has gone downstate to testify for more voting rights, for more ease of voting. And when you have a person who doesn't believe in the process, I am concerned on what that will do to our rights as voters. Now, we've all seen before where some people have sat there and said, hey, this is what I'm running on it. And, and maybe it's totally different. Um, I, I worry about it is all I can say. I worry about the voting process. So let me preface my question by stating that poll workers who will voluntarily help administer this year's election are essential to strengthening our democracy and preserving the hallowed right to vote. But on poll workers, I understand that the Lake County Election Board took steps to reduce conflicts among polling place workers amid an unprecedented rise in quote-unquote meanness, based both on personality and partisanship. And that includes you guys expanding conflict training. And this is great news for everyone, including voters. And so my question to you is, to what do you think attributed to this sort of rise in disputes? And have they settled down since the training? Well, I think it came from our our president at the time. I mean, it, it became a time where you could say whatever you wanted to say to whomever you wanted to say. Facts didn't need to be part of it. It was just say whatever you want. It didn't matter if you hurt people's feelings. It didn't matter if you offended someone who was disabled. It didn't matter. And so people have have seen that and, and they're imitating it in some cases. And they're just not being kind. I mean, I was raised, treat everyone how you want to be treated. And that's my philosophy is, you know, just be kind to people. If you don't have something nice to say, don't say it. You know, when it comes to election day, we're all there to do a job. We're there to help facilitate that you have your voice in your politics, to let your voice be heard through the ballot box. You don't need to take it out on the people that are there trying to make it easy for you. You know, they're not there to discuss politics with you. They're there to help you cast your vote. So if you have a preference, whether it be Democrat, Republican, Libertarian, Independent, that's where you say it is on the, on the ballot box. And so we are having to do some conflict resolution, you know, how to de-escalate people, how to, you know, again, those aren't the people that are making the laws. Don't take it out on them. If you have a question or concern, take it to the source. Contact your legislator. Do that. But don't take it out on the poll workers and don't take it out on each other. All right, Michelle, feel free to steal this idea from me. And uh, I thought about this over the weekend uh, prior to our conversation. So you're selected for jury duty, right? And uh, you turn 18 years old, you get into the system, and every once in a while you have to go sit in front of a couple of lawyers and maybe get selected for jury duty. Now, is there a possibility, maybe, an idea here brewing for me was, what about getting selected for poll worker duty, um, you know, to get more people politically, to be more politically active, to be part of that process so they can see and understand the training that goes into it and what the day is like, you know, to kind of combat these fears and these worries of does my vote count and, you know, who's what's really going on. 
you know, is there is there anything like that, or is it just simply we we hope we have enough people who sign up this year to help run some polling locations? Right now, it's we hope we have enough people that sign up, and right now we are looking very good. I can say from, again, the Democrat standpoint, we are almost completely full. There's just a few spots left to fill, and I have every faith that they will get all those filled. And so really, really kind of since 2020, you know, right after the pandemic, people really started coming forward and wanted to be part of the process and working and seeing how it runs. And so lately, we've been pretty good on poll workers. So I'm very happy with that. But I will say there was one gentleman one time came in, and our staff was all on the phone. We had like 20 people in the office. And and there was a little line out in the hallway, because this was 20, I don't know, it was one of the presidential years. And so there was a little line out in the hallway. And he came in, and he was complaining, you know, that why aren't all you guys out there helping and stuff? I'm like, well, we're also making sure that the voting machines are ready. We're making sure that the registered voter rolls are ready. And, and so we, we've got our own duties in here. And I said, you know, we're, we're short on workers. And if you'd like to work, hey, I'll hire you right now. He's like, okay, fine. So we hired him. He came in the very next day. He lasted like two or three days. <laughs> and he said, I will not complain again. He said, I see all the steps and all the safeguards that go into place. And he says, and I won't complain again. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to where I could see the behind the scenes and what all goes into an election. And he, and he thanked us and he goes, but this is not for me. This is a lot more work than I thought. Thank you. And I'm not going to complain again. And I was like, fabulous. And Great. Truthfully, there you go. Everybody that's ever come into our office and sees the behind the scenes of what goes into mailing out a ballot, all the steps that goes into checking them out and everything, they have a new respect for elections. And even like when I first came in, 33 years ago, you know, you didn't realize you thought, oh, yeah, you just show up on Election Day and this is already all done. You know, the voting machine's here. You just vote and you're done. And, you know, people thought that we only worked two days a year for the staff in here. I'm like, no, I have a full time staff that works, you know, every day. And uh, they, they think it's just miraculously shows up. It doesn't. There's a lot of work and effort that goes in behind the scenes. And once someone works in here and sees that, I guarantee you, most of those people will probably never, ever miss voting. They will never miss an election because they know the importance of it and they know the work that goes into it. We're talking with Michelle Feynman, the director for the Lake County Board of Elections here on Regionally Speaking. I'm Tom Maloney. She's Dee Dotson. So, Michelle, we've seen stories about voter intimidation across the country, and I should say that does not include right here in the Hoosier State. But are there any concerns leading up to Election Day? And to that point, are there any security measures being taken to protect not only the integrity of the election, but also the poll workers as well as the voters? We have increased our number of deputy election commissioners this year. Um, So what that is, is they are like the long arm of the election board. So our election board is here all day long on election day to resolve any conflict or any issues and so forth. And so each party now is going to select another 14 individuals and they are out there in the field. And if we have any issues, our attorney, our board members call them up and then we send those individuals out. So in essence, there's 28 more officials out there that are there to help resolve any issues of intimidation and anything. And it's just, you know, sometimes it's overzealous candidates and their workers. And we've, we've had a little bit of it this year already, you know, with early voting where people run up on you when you're trying to walk in the building and, hey, vote for me. You have to remember, okay, think about it if someone ran up on you in a parking lot. How would you feel? Right. You know, it's better to stand out there, wave, good morning, thanks for coming out and voting. By the time people get to the polls on Election Day, they pretty much know who they're voting for. Just greet people. You don't have to run up on them. You're not going to probably change their mind in the last two seconds before they walk into the polls. But yes, we have taken steps to add those in, as well as some of that conflict resolution that we were talking about, training for individuals and so forth. 
you know, there's never a perfect election, but we try to learn from each and every election that we go through, and we try to make it better. Did we see conflict last year in the primary? Yes, we're trying to address that. And we continue to build on how we run elections. So let's talk about deadlines for just a moment. As we've already shared, early voting has already started. If you live in Lake County, where can you find out information about early voting locations? So on our website, which is www.lakecountyin.org, you would then go to the election page. And on there is a list of our polling sites. There's a list of our early voting sites. There is, you can apply for absentee ballots there. Another great website is indianavoters.com. And from there, voters can also, you put in your full name and your date of birth, and it will populate. It's going to tell you who's on your ballot. It's going to tell you where your polling site is. It will tell you some early voting stuff. You could apply for an absentee ballot on there, and it goes right into our hopper. So it comes into us almost instantaneously. Um, We send the ballot out to you. And then you can track. You can see, like, have they received my ballot back and so forth. So that is a great And again, it also has who's on my ballot. So you're going to be able to see who the candidates are on your ballot. If you actually want to see a physical picture of what your ballot would look like, then I would suggest going to the Lake County IN page and looking at a sample ballot. But all that information is out on those two websites. Those are very handy to know. Of course, if someone doesn't have access to the Internet, you can always call our office at 755-3795. And that was area code 219-755. 3795. So if you want to check out, am I still a registered voter? You can do that. Call us up. We'll be able to tell you the information. Unfortunately, it is too late to register at this point in time, but we do have fail-safe methods out there. So say I just moved last week. Registration ended 30 days before the election. I just moved. With that, you can go back to your old polling place, as long as it's still here in Lake County, and you can go back to your old polling place and vote one last time. Give us your new address, and we're going to transfer you for the next election. So there are methods in place that will allow you still to vote. Now, if you moved out of the county, there's not much I can do on that. Um, But as long as you moved within the same county, you're, you're good on that. But those are two great websites to look at, as well as giving us a call. Again, make a plan. Don't wait for the last minute, because I guarantee you on Election Day, you know, we have 365 precincts out there. They're also calling us up with problems on Election Day. So don't wait for the last minute. Make a plan. Where am I voting? Am I early voting? Am I voting at the polls on Election Day? How am I doing it? Find out the information in advance and then get her done, the government. So just encouraging everyone to get out, to cast your vote early. You know, call up a friend. Get Take a friend with you to the polls. Take a friend with you to early voting. Go have lunch afterwards, but just just to get out and go vote. Let's fast forward to election night. At what time should Lake County community members expect to get election results? So usually we're pretty good at knowing our absentee vote, our early vote numbers by right around six o'clock because throughout the day we are going through and processing those ballots. For everyone who voted absentee or early, we're processing those. And then at six o'clock is when we can hit the tabulate button. And so at six o'clock, we usually know majority of our absentee votes. So 615, you should see some totals start to populate on our website um, with those early votes. And then what happens is Throughout the county, all those precincts are bringing their totals back to different drop-off locations, and then they all come to the government center here, and we tabulate everything. So usually, you know, I would watch our website like every half hour, and, and you'll start seeing numbers populate. So usually we're, we're updating it every half hour about. Keep in mind, you know, you may not know 
at the end of the day, because a lot of ballots, we have up until 10 days after the election to do the provisional ballots. And those are where, say, a person sends their absentee ballot and signatures don't match. We then send out an affidavit to the voter for them to sign it saying, yes, this was me. Yes, that was my ballot. Sometimes my signature changes you know, from day to day if I'm rushed or whatever. And then those are counted as provisionals as well as on election day. Provisional is a fail-safe ballot. So what that means is I show up at the polls on election day and maybe I forgot my photo identification. I can still cast my ballot. It's on a paper ballot. And then I have up until 10 days after the election to get my photo identification into the county to say, hey, that was my ballot and it should count. So that's what provisional is. And if we're seeing any races that come down to high votes, one vote, two votes, you know, those provisionals definitely could make a difference in those races. And, and Lake County has seen many tie votes. We have seen races come down to, you know, two vote difference, three vote difference, 10 vote difference. So every vote matters. And we want to ensure that every vote that should count does count. Michelle, one last question uh, for you before we let you go. Um, what is it going to take for Indiana to increase its overall voting turnout? We saw record numbers the last couple of years, but still uh, still being dwarfed by the other uh, virtually uh, 50 states in, in the uh, country in terms of voter turnout. Um, what What's it going to take for more Hoosiers to get to the polls uh, this election cycle and those in the future? Well, I'm hoping this election cycle with some of the the decisions that we've come seen out of the Supreme Court, I'm hoping that's enough to pull some voters out to sit there and say, hey, these are our rights. We need to be having a say in our government who our legislators are. And since some decisions are now coming down to a state by state, it's really important that you voice your opinion. So I'm I'm hopeful that this year that more people will come out. If I knew the answer, we would be right up there with some of those larger um, states and getting numbers out. Again, it's just a matter of this is our rights. These are our people that are elected. These are the people that are making the decisions for us. And we have to have a say in our government. So just encouraging everyone to get out, to cast your vote early, you know, call up a friend, get, take a friend with you to the polls, take a friend with you to early voting, go have lunch afterwards, but just, just to get out and go vote. And of course, uh, the shameless plug now, Michelle, as you can tune in to election night coverage here on Originally uh, Speaking, well, here on Lakeshore Public Radio, beginning on election night at 6 o'clock Central Time. And uh, we'll be getting those numbers out to the uh, the listeners and the audience uh, as they do come in from the Lake County Board of Elections, along with the Porter County and the Port County Boards of Elections. Uh, so we've got a lot of work ahead of us and a lot of pizza to be eaten. Are you a pizza, a pizza lady on election night, Michelle? Oh, yeah. We right. have food. We don't let our staff leave. Uh, the longest I have ever worked was 26 and a half hours. I am not thinking we're going to hit that late. <laughs> I'm hoping we're out of here by 11 or 12. Uh, but, yeah, there will definitely be some pizza eating that night. Sounds good. Best of luck to you and the uh, the team that makes uh, elections possible here in northwest Indiana and Lake County. Michelle Feynman, director of the Lake County Board of Elections, joining us here on Regionally Speaking. Thanks, Michelle, and uh, good luck this election cycle. Thank you. You have a great day. Joshua Page is a husband, father, entrepreneur, master electrician, and proud tech school graduate. After graduating in 2002, Page immediately started working as an electrical apprentice. And after a few years, he obtained his journeyman license and then his master electrician's license. Joshua is here today to talk to us about the new kids book he wrote entitled, What Does Your Daddy Do? Joshua Thank you for joining us on Regionally Speaking. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Joshua, so you're here with us today to talk about your new book, What Does Your Daddy Do? 
And I must say, the book piqued my interest because despite suffering the economic effects of the pandemic, Northwest Indiana's building industry is actively recruiting qualified talent to maintain the state's competitive housing market, and experts believe a bounce back in the region's construction trades is inevitable. And additionally, here in Northwest Indiana, we have all of the steel mills, which are, again, a huge trade industry. So before we talk about your book, please take a moment to tell us about yourself. I grew up couple different ways. So my mom passed away when I was 13 years old. I went to live with my father and went to a trade school. I actually had a falling out with my father and that side when I was young. So I actually ended up running away and ended up living with my aunt, which is my mother's sister. Still went through trade school. Wasn't a good student. I was always getting into trouble. I was a C&D student. But I think it took me about till senior year to really figure myself out and say, you know what, I really need to buckle down, get my grades in order. You know, I really need to do this. And so I went to trade school for electrical, and then I graduated senior year in electrical. And I received my journeyman's license probably about three years after graduating and my master electrician's license about another two years after that. I went to work for a big electrical company for about eight years doing commercial buildings, big schools, colleges, hospitals. And then I decided I wanted to do I wanted to do my own thing. I wanted to be able to be there for my kids when they got off the bus. I wanted to put my kids on the bus. I wanted to coach their sports, and and I just wanted to be there for them. So I ended up quitting that company and started my own company. And I did a few different things before starting my own electrical company. But now we're into year 11 of my electrical contracting business. We have 15 employees, multiple vans, and we do a lot of what I did back then. So that's how I got started into the electrical trade and, and trades in general. Great, great. So, Joshua, listening to you share your journey to becoming a master electrician, I have to ask you, it sounds like college is not the only option, correct? That is correct. And um, when I was young, I I knew I wasn't going to college. My mom didn't have money for it. I wasn't smart. I was a C&D student. And I knew at that time that I was definitely not going to college. So what piqued my interest about the trade school is that you only had to go to school two weeks out of the month and the other two weeks were in a trade. Because it went, you know, one week of academics, another week of trade, one week of academics, another week of trade. So that's originally why I went there, because I said, heck yeah, you know, I only have to go to school two weeks out of the month, you know, sign me up. So that's why I originally went to a trade school. We're speaking with Joshua Page, author of the New Kids book, What Does Your Daddy Do? So Joshua, thinking about the pandemic, especially at the height of the pandemic, when people at that time were locked down in their homes, able to not only take a break from the hustle and bustle of everyday life, but also having that opportunity, if you will, to look around their homes and go, hmm, that wall could use a fresh coat of paint. Or in the case in which the work you do would fit in, that outlet in the bathroom that constantly causes problems if both the hairdryer and let's just say the electric toothbrush are plugged in at the same time. So thinking about, you know, cases like that, have you seen an uptick in business? Yes, I think everyone in the trades has absolutely seen a complete uptick in business because, you know, COVID and the pandemic, you know, probably one of the best things to ever happen in this world and probably one of the worst things to ever happen in this world. You know, I think we all learned a lot and it all affected us in different ways and you know all at the same time but with all of these people working in tech and industries and and leaving the offices by the drones you know that just it it just all went home 
and then had to figure themselves out, like, how do we run this business? How do we do this? Oh, okay, we can do this from home now. All right, yeah, I'll set up my computer, my laptop, my screens. Okay, I can do this from home. Oh, wait, I need more outlets. I need internet. I need more power. I need a new electrical panel. And then while they're home, you know, building out their home office, hey, you know what? We've always wanted to do our kitchen. We've never been able to be home for it. Wow, why don't we do our kitchen? Why don't we do our bathroom? Why don't we put decks on? So there has been a huge inrush of projects from the home front over the last two years. I don't think anybody in the trade has slowed down because of it. Now we're starting to see more people leave their homes and go back to the offices, but they're still, you know, they're still they're still doing a lot of stuff to their houses that they've never been able to do or never had the eye for because they haven't been home long enough because they've always been in the office for 12, 14 hours a day. So Joshua, you are a staunch advocate for the trades, often encouraging young people to explore a career in the trade as an alternative to college. Why are you so passionate about the trades? And is that what led you to write the book, What Does Your Daddy Do? So yeah, that's a two-part answer. So why am I so passionate about the trades? I was lost and confused when my mom died and going through my high school career. And, you know, it's it's awkward enough going through high school and trying to make friends and girlfriends and try to figure life out. And with me running away and living with my aunt, not having a good relationship with my dad, my mom is gone. I really was constantly searching for for someone to be proud of me, right? Something, somebody to tell me how good I was doing, or I was searching for that from my mom, and it obviously wasn't there. But once I started getting involved in the trades and was able to build something with my own hands, I was proud of myself. And as soon as I was proud of myself for building that or turning that light switch on or plumbing a faucet or putting a roof on, whatever project I was in, I was like, wow, this is really cool. Like, I built this. Like, I had a box of parts and material, and I put it all together, and it worked, and I did it. And I didn't need someone else to tell me that they were proud of me. I was able to do it. So to me, I think the trade and building saved me. You know, I really do. And um, there's just something about being counted on and being relied on by other people that don't have that skill set that just fires me up inside. Like, I love when people say, hey, can you fix this? And you fix it. And they, they're just like, how did you do that? And I'm like, oh, you know, X, Y, Z. Like, that's our skill set in the trades. And it doesn't matter if you're an electrician. You can still do the same thing as a carpenter, as a plumber, as a welder. Once you have that skill set, nobody can ever take that away from you. And you can use it in every aspect of life. And the reason why I wrote the book is because about six years ago, I was invited to speak at a career day event about becoming an electrician. And when I got there, there was a fireman, environmental police, a tax advisor, someone from like Edward Jones, and then me. And I was like, all right, I'm either in the wrong space or like, I don't even know what the heck I'm doing here. So I had 30 minutes to talk to a bunch of high school kids. And I decided 25 minutes of that, I was going to tell them my story about high school, my mom passing away. And then five minutes of it, I told them about becoming an electrician. They all left. And the teacher came up to me and said, Josh, I have never seen in my entire teaching career someone hold 15 kids' attention for so long on every single word. How did you do it? And I said, because I got them to trust me with my story. You know, they're, they're interested in being an electrician, but they need to trust me, the stranger walking in firsthand. And I started doing that a lot. And I would speak to a lot of career day events and kids would get excited about being an electrician and all of this. And I just, I loved it, but I didn't feel I was making a big enough of an impact. And when the pandemic hit, 
I had about two weeks that we shut down the company and I said, you know, I can't just sit here. Like, what can I do? And so that's when I wrote the children's book. And honestly, I wrote it and then I, I just saved it on Microsoft Word. I didn't do anything with it because I didn't think anybody would care. I didn't think anybody would read it. I thought it was garbage. And then 2021, I opened it back up again and I said, Josh, this book's not written for you. You've got to show up and you've got to put this book out there for the next generation of kids that are lost or confused or maybe were just like you when you were young. That's what this book is for. It's not for you. So put the book out there and let it be shown. And so here we are today. And I'm so proud of the book. We've got a lot of great feedback from parents and kids. And I really think it's going to help to change the next generation. Joshua, so as I shared at the start of our conversation, I wanted to speak with you today because your book highlights the importance of working in the trades, a big industry here in Northwest Indiana that sadly, like across our country, has seen a decline in the next generation of workers. The book opens with one of the main characters, Ashton, heading off to school for a career week. Once settled in his fifth grade classroom, his teacher, Miss Dusenberry, starts the discussion of career week. The kids are really interested in it, and they want to learn more. So take a moment to tell us about your book, What Does Your Daddy Do? Yeah, so the career week at school, you know, they're just finding out about different careers. And Miss Dusenberry is telling them that she's a teacher and that's a career, that jobs are more short-term. But if it's a long-term job, then it becomes a career. So the kids are interested. Ashton knows that his dad's an electrician but he doesn't exactly know what he does. So he goes home and, you know, he asks dad and dad shows him all these cool things. And then he has to report back to school the next day. And, you know, I think as kids, we don't, we don't, sometimes we don't even know what our parents do, right? Like, I know I have friends that I'm like, I don't even know what you do. Like, what exactly do you do? You know, so I, I think growing up, unless your parents were in the trades or they hired tradespeople to work at home when you were there, I think a lot of kids don't even realize what a carpenter is or what a plumber does, or they might know what a roofer is because they can put two and two together. Like there's a roof on the house, you're a roofer. But for the most part, like they, kids don't even know what that is. I, I know growing up, I had no clue what an electrician was. I literally went to trade school to go into cosmetology. <laughs> wow. and, and I'm I'm six foot four, two hundred and thirty pounds. Like I didn't, I couldn't picture myself doing French tips, French braids, and manicures for the rest of my life. But I thought I I thought cosmetology was about you know makeup in the movies. Like that's what I wanted to do, like the gore and the makeup and all that stuff. So growing up, I had no clue what an electrician was. So I'm hoping these books will just kind of start the conversation younger, like, oh, that's what an electrician does. Like, that's really cool. Or like, I don't want to do that. Like, okay, perfect. That's fine, too. I was just reading this book to my eight-year-old son. Well, actually, he wrote it to me the other day. And I let him read the whole book. And then we closed it. I said, okay, buddy, we got to get to bed. And he said, dad, I said, what, buddy? He said, I don't know what I want to do when I grow up. And it was like, that's the magic moment right there that I want for every kid reading this book to say to their parents or to their teacher, like, just get the conversation started. You know, it's fine if you don't want to be in the trades. It's fine. But I, I want it to be a conversation that gets started young. That way they have time to make up their mind. And they actually can learn about the trades instead of finding out when they're 16, 17, 18 years old. Because by then, not that it's too late, but it almost is too late. Like, you know, 
they need to get involved earlier. And there's a lot of kids out there that are great at doing Legos or building tree houses or working on their dirt bike or their cars or, and they would be phenomenal in the trades, but they just don't even know it exists. So in addition to kids having access to your book, do you think that representatives from the trade industry should participate in career days at their local schools? I think career days are great. I mean, I think they're becoming more and more popular. Uh, honestly, with with the pandemic, it stopped, right? It's 2020, nobody went and visited schools. 2021, nobody visited schools. 2022, we're starting to visit schools now. And I think it's good. I think... To me, the, the reason why I wrote the book between third and sixth grade is I think, I think that's the magic seed that needs to be planted then. Seventh and eighth grade is your awkward years. Ninth through twelfth, you're being shoved with so much college information that there's not much room for much else. And I think a lot of those kids, to be honest and blunt, I think a lot of those kids that are not going to go to college are just going to put up the front and say, no, I'm not going to college. And if they're not redirected somewhere else, then those are the ones that they're just going to get in trouble. They're going to make bad choices. They're going to do things that aren't right. And they're just not going to live a life of purpose. And that, honestly, the reason why I say it is because that was me for a little bit. You know, that, that was me. Like, I was getting into trouble. There was no purpose until I found out exactly, and until my back was up against the wall, and I need to make a choice in that senior year and say, okay, I have no options. I'm not going to college. My mom has passed away. I don't talk to my dad. I live in the breezeway of my aunt's house. Like, I need to make a decision. That's what it took for me. But I don't think a lot of kids are going to have that same mentality as I did. And I think a lot of them are going to get stuck. So I think we need to get the trades and options to them earlier. Not pushed on them, just educated. Just like this children's book is just an option. Like, hey, you want to read this book? Oh, perfect. We find out about an electrician. It's just planting the seed. That's all I want to do. Joshua, you just shared something that reminds me of a recent personal experience. You know, you spoke about planting that seed early, exposing kids to the idea of working in the trades industry at a very early age, even sharing your thoughts on what to share at varying ages and stages, including that by the time a student makes it to high school, it might be a little harder to introduce them to the idea of trades because they may be working towards their goal of attending a college or university. And that leads me to want to share this moment of transparency as we talk about students being encouraged to get good grades and strive for college as the only option. So I have a son that is in his junior year of high school. He's a pretty good student. Well, actually, he's a great student. He takes all AP and honors courses. But an opportunity for a select number of students at his high school came up to take part in a two-year electrician's trades course that could actually lead to an apprenticeship. So my son, he filled out all of the required paperwork. We as parents, we signed off on it because this was something that he was interested in. But sadly, his application was rejected because he was told that he was on the college track. And that really bummed him out. So what do you say to that sort of excluding students from even learning about a career in the trades simply because they make good grades or are on the college track? That's tough because, one, if your son made it and is definitely college-bound and that's exactly what he wants to do, but he just wants to learn about the trades, he would block an opportunity for another kid who absolutely wants nothing to do with college but wants to trade. So that's one scenario. But the other scenario is is just because your, your son is extremely smart and in AP classes and everything else, doesn't mean that he's going to want to go to college. Exactly. Maybe he doesn't. Maybe he's just a really smart kid and doesn't want college, but maybe he works really well with his hands 
and he could be the next plumber or the next automotive technician or the next engineer, you know. But, yeah, that's, that's a tough one. That, that is tough because they are steering him. They, they didn't give him an option. They're saying, yeah, because of your grades and how smart you are, you, you, you don't belong in the trades. Like, you're, you're going to college whether you like it or not. That's pretty much what they're saying. Yeah, and it really bummed him out. And because of that, I'll be honest with you, he made the decision that once he graduates high school, he will pursue a program on his own. For him. Absolutely. I will support him no matter what it is, if he goes to Harvard or if he goes and becomes part of a local apprenticeship uh, program. Do I have time to tell you a short story? You do. You certainly do. Go right I, ahead. I, I, I love telling this story because, again, college is not the only option, and I'm not pushing the trades. It's just an option. But what I am pushing for every single person that's listening to this broadcast right now, I don't care if you're 10 years old or 70 years old, I want you to live your life with passion and purpose. And here's the story. My oldest son has ADHD was extremely tough to deal with when he was younger. And I was talking with a customer of ours. And he said his son was the same thing. And I said, okay, great. Like, what do I do? How do I parent differently? What can I do to help him? And he said, well, my son loved video games. Like, he was very bad at school. He would lie about his homework. If he did it, he would get like a 14 on homework. Like, he would just fail everything. But he loved video games. And I'm like, okay, you know, and I said, that's great. My son doesn't really play video games that much, but all right. And I said, you know, where is your son now? And he said, my son's 23 years old. I said, wow. I said, okay, so you, you made it. <laughs> you know, you got him through high school. Like, what's he doing right. now? And he said, you'll never believe it, Josh. And I said, what? And this was probably six years ago. So it was before the pandemic. And he said he lives in a 12,000-square-foot mansion in Las Vegas with six other men. And I said, wow, what the heck does he do? And he said they tour the country setting up video game conferences throughout the entire country for people to play video games against each other throughout the world. And he makes $200,000 a year. Wow. And I said, oh, my gosh. Like, here's this kid that you thought was a complete failure, was a loser in school, you know, was never going to make it out of him, had ADHD, and here he is doing phenomenal, didn't go to college, didn't go into the trades, but he followed his passion and is living life with purpose. And I said, good for him. And I told this story to every single person that will listen to it, because to me, that means more than anything in the world. And I think as parents, we try to push our kids into these little shapes and, and ideals that we imagine we want them to be. But sometimes that's just not who they are. But if every single one of us lived life with passion and purpose, I think this world would be a lot better off. Let me just say this, Joshua. Thank you for, for being so open and honest and transparent and sharing your whole story as you shared in receiving feedback from not only the teacher from that very first career day event that you participated in, but also feedback just from community members who have received your story in a way, yeah, it's great when you hear from a doctor, from an engineer, from an architect, but to actually see someone who maybe has experienced life's ups and downs the way you have, and for you to share your passion, I think that that is what is so moving and at the same time motivating for young people as well. So I just wanted to thank you for being so passionate for that. And just listening to you, I can tell that how you receive love is by giving and sharing. And so I just wanted to take a moment 
moment to just mm. say thank you for that. Because not a lot of people are generous with their story. Mm. And oftentimes when you hold your story in and when you don't share your story with someone else, that can impede someone else's progress. So I just wanted to tell you thank you for sharing your story, sharing your journey, and being so open and honest. And I am just amazed that you wrote this story in two weeks. Yeah, it, it's based on Career Week at school. And that, that's, mm-hmm. you know, where I found out about, you know, teaching of the trade is, was at Career Week. So this is going to be the first book in the series. I plan on doing another four, with the next one being Plumber and HVAC, then Carpenter, Welder, and then Cosmetologist. And then um, before anyone asks, because it always comes up, um, everyone says, well, what about moms? What about moms? What about moms? Right, and right. I'm like, yep. So the next, the next series is going to be the same exact trades, and it's going to be what does your mommy do? Because I want the little girls growing up to understand that they, too, can be a, the next best carpenter, the next plumber, the next cosmetologist, what, the next electrician. They, too, can do that just as much as the boys can. And I don't want any, any little girl to be out there and saying, wow, I, you know, I wish I could be an electrician, because they can. I can only write one book at a time, and this book was primarily about me being an electrician during career week. But the next books coming out are, are going to be, you know, even better. And I think, I think with this series of books and with teaching the parents and educating the kids about the trades, I think it'll be another option for them. And that college is not the only option. It's a great option, but so aren't the trades. And because I know there's a lot of other kids that are out there that grew up just like me, um, but they might not have that mentor or someone to look up to that has been where I've been. And maybe maybe they'll think back on this book that they read at the library or this book that they read at preschool or this book that was given to them for Christmas or something. Be like, wow, you know, maybe I can do this or maybe I can do that. And maybe they don't become an electrician. That's fine. But maybe they go into something that they're passionate about and they love and they find out, I love to be a welder. I love to be a roofer. I really love painting. Okay, great. Because the thing is, parents, we push our kids into certain areas that we felt we failed at growing up and we wish we would have done. Absolutely. And I think that's where a lot of people push the kids to college. Like, oh, I'm not successful. You should have went to college. I, I should have went to college, so you should go to college and you become successful. But that's, that's honestly a lie that we've told generation after generation after generation because you don't need to go to college to be successful. There are plenty of tradespeople throughout the entire country that are doing extremely well, if not equal to or better than a college graduate with no debt and where where the national debt average is 1.3 trillion dollars whether they're going to pay for it or not it's still in the trillions and somebody that money does doesn't just doesn't appear the taxpayers are going to have to pay for it somewhere along the lines we will have to pay for that so when you go into the trades you are debt free when you go into college you're going into debt you, you potentially could have a very good job. You're going to have a great education, but you're still going to have to find a job at the end. When you go into the trades, you have the job right from the start, and you're getting paid right from the start, and you can do very, very well. Not, not everyone is made for college, and not everyone's made for the trades either. You know, it's just another option. So finally, Joshua, I read the book, What Does Your Daddy Do? And as I've shared many times throughout our conversation, I absolutely loved it. For our listeners who are interested in picking up a copy, can you share more information on how they can get their own copy? Yeah, absolutely. So you can buy it in print on Amazon. It's available by Amazon. Uh, you can also get it as an ebook from Amazon. 
Uh, Barnes Noble has it online. Most of the major uh, retailers online will carry it. And if you buy it, please, please, please uh, leave a review, leave us a testimonial, take some pictures. Um, we have a What Does Your Daddy Do Facebook page. You can uh, tag us on that. Uh, I'd love to get this book into every kid's hands throughout the throughout the country and, and throughout the world, really. I mean, uh, the trades are needed and, and kids need to be, um, you know, taught about them at, at an early age. So uh, I appreciate anything and everything and, and buy the book for Christmas, buy the book. Um, for, for birthdays, for Father's Day coming up next year, and uh, stay tuned for more coming coming soon. Joshua Page is a father, husband, a master electrician, and the author of the kids' book, What Does Your Daddy Do? Joshua, thank you so much for spending time with us today on Regionally Speaking. Thank you for having me. It's been my pleasure. And that's it for Regionally Speaking for today and this week. And thanks to our guest from the Lake County Board of Elections, Michelle Feynman, as well as master electrician turned children's book author, Joshua Page. We'll be back with you next Friday.